Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment before the monsters came. Humanoids from the Deep Dive. Welcome to the podcast Humanoids the Deep Dive, where we dig deep into the monsters and context of your favorite monsters and monster movies. Uh, each episode will see guests and myself talk about an important movie monster or, or folkloric monster and what it means uh, to us and generally, uh, using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore. Today's episode, we're, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll scale back a second. Our topic for today is one of my favorites, and I was going to say one of the favorites of everyone at the show because we're all nerds, but I can only speak for myself. I'm very nerdy, and I really love this topic. Me too. And, uh, okay, I can speak for all of us. We all really love this topic because... Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Cool. Uh... Because we didn't talk about that, ladies and uh, you know, folks, uh, monster friends ladies. outside the show. Um, we um, <laughs> we didn't we didn't talk about that beforehand, so I didn't want to go too far afield. Uh, we're talking about American nuclear monsters, the 1950s uh, beasties and tall humanoids and all sorts of creatures. Back when they. Were, knew they were afraid of radiation and had no idea what it could actually do. So they just made stuff up they were afraid of. And it was very creative. A uh, whole lot of fun. We're going to focus up front on the probably the best American nuclear monster film, Them. Uh, often stylized with an exclamation mark, making it more like Them! Uh, and... Uh, I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. Uh, I'm an entertainment contributor for Forbes and, and uh, writer for Looper and Slash Film. Uh, host of this show, and you know if it's Monsters, I'm obsessed with it. And I'd also like to introduce our fantastic co-host for uh, this amazing episode that I'm super looking forward to. Um, please say uh, hello, Michael Vaughn. Hello, Michael Vaughn. <laughs> hello, Michael Vaughn. <laughs> Oh, everyone says hi to Mike. I love it. And Andre Couture. Hello. Hello. I am Andre. Andre Bot. Yes. I am Andre. (laughs) I love it. Um, Yeah, the gentlemen, thank you so much for for being here. Um, And uh, I really look forward to deep diving on this with you fine folks. Uh, And folks at home, thank you as always for tuning in. Um, So to kind of start out with with uh them it's uh so 1954 was a really weirdly good time for monster movies you have uh them which is arguably the 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 best of the american nuclear monster crop especially like the large you know like radiation makes things small things really really big uh tradition uh, you also have Creature from the Black Lagoon. You have Godzilla over in Japan, which is uh, a phenom. We've done it. it was one of our first episodes because it's so amazing. 
1954 was was a really particularly good time to like monster movies in the era and and them uh which has proven really influential over the years it influenced even aliens was heavily influenced by basically aliens pretty much ripped off all of them and just put xenomorphs instead of giant ants it was they should have called aliens aliens with the exclamation point <laughs> just to drive yeah. the point home exactly that's what, what what they don't tell you is you know there, there, there's that apocryphal story of like james cameron at a meeting just writing a dollar sign in front of alien um, he also put or, an exclamation point but they were like yeah <laughs> i don't get i don't get it and then he erased the exclamation point and then he looks back at the like, class and then smiles oh! and then they give him a standing ovation <laughs> exactly that's how it went right <laughs> <laughs> exactly with like 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 a single tear in each of their eyes <laughs> um but yeah the, james cameron uh lo- loves this was heavily influenced by it uh, uh we love it um so so the the general plot summary uh while investigating uh, a, a series of mysterious deaths uh sergeant ben peterson which is played by james whitmore he finds a young girl in the desert who's, who's traumatized and really kind of having difficulty even speaking because of the trauma that she's just from from what she's just seen um so he uh, uh the sergeant joins forces with the fbi and a scientist and they start to investigate and realize that there's been a whole lot of attacks in this community because of uh these massive ants that have been mutated by atomic radiation and then are threatening to spread across the entire country. Uh, so they have to destroy these like uh, ants the size of, you know, uh, military vehicles before they destroy uh, all of the things and all of the peoples. Um, it was, uh, it's funny. Cause like, you know, you know, I've shared many a weird monster movie with uh, friends and family of mine that like to know or are curious about why I think monster movies are cool enough to to have a show about them and to whatever. I'm, none of the co-hosts on this show, like they all get it. I you know they same type of weirdo as me. Fortunately, um, you got to find your tribe, <laughs> but. When I'm trying to explain it to other people, there's a set of movies that I like to show them to be like, oh, hey, this is super cool. And it's not the usual suspects. And them is always one that people are just like, oh, that was actually good. (laughs) Very reliable in that regard. Um, Which one of you fine folks uh, would like to start with your review? You can go ahead, Mike. I'll follow you up. Yeah, so um, I really like them. Um, I will say one of the things that I think is so kind of amazing about the movie is the um, setup and build up um, to the mm. actual um, ants. It, it's it's kind of amazing because you know you only like hear it, you only like see how traumatized this little girl is, and I think that is such a, a genius way of like introducing the movie and building up this tension to you when you finally figure out like what it actually is. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it is um, the build up worth the payoff. I mean, I would say marginally yes, but um, 
just like seeing how like terrified that little girl is and then you know you having to use your imagination if you know having never seen it um of like what scared her to the point of like i don't know cat being catatonic um mm-hmm. so and, and i and i like i just love how you hear it it's like alluded to and then i think it's like a good what 20 or 30 minutes till you actually see the um which yeah yeah Mm -hmm. again is so brilliant and i think that it would be kind of interesting to watch this with like a modern audience because um i don't think that they might be used to like that kind of uh prolonged sort of build-up but Mm -hmm. again i think that's kind of what's genius about the movie um yeah no yeah yeah absolutely i really love it Um, five out of five five out of ten (laughs) (laughs) absolutely absolutely (laughs) i could not i could not agree more um but we'll get there uh thank you so much uh you brought up some of my favorite aspects of it uh andre what do you think good sir yeah um a a lot of this is gonna sound the same across the board but uh the it's not like one of the first giant monster movies by by any stretch of the imagination, but mm-hmm. it, it does some things that other movies like that didn't um, didn't even touch, like the messing with the audience based on like the sounds of the creature, leading you to like create this image of like what that could be. Uh, making these terrifying sounds. If anything, the the poster is a little bit of a spoiler for like the first half of the movie because people are trying to figure out what the hell these things are and what um, what they can do. But then mm-hmm. you know, everyone who like even hasn't seen the movie before knows like it's they're giant hands, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still lend some sort of um, some terrifying qualities to them where if you think of ants as like barely visible creatures that you, you don't really learn that much about because they don't affect you in that large of a way, um, when they're giant and basically preying on humans, uh, then mm-hmm. you learn their, their powers, attributes, whatever, pretty quickly because they're... Uh, at this stage, not friendly. So um, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a wonderful um, flip. It's like a, almost a nature run amok mixed in with a um, mm-hmm. nuclear scare kind of um, angle to it. And the Absolutely. character writing is really good. Like it's way better than I ever thought it was going to be. Um, I have to say I put off watching this for, a little bit too long, but once I did, I was completely blown away. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a five star out of a five star movie for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for that. I definitely, uh, you know, similarly, like I did initially gravitate towards it because the, the monster movies that I grew up with are like the classic universal monsters. And then some of the stuff from like, you know, the seventies and the eighties. So like you're, 
your your alien you know your 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 carpenter your uh uh your body snatchers you know but not um but the 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 50s stuff that inspired all those later ones was really kind of um a, a bit of a question mark for me so i came back to to start looking at some of these movies that inspired you know john carpenter and and a lot of the people that i really uh idolized and i came back to them and it was really shockingly good <laughs> i was like i thought it was going to be fun i didn't know it was going to be great um uh, i i gotta say i i agree with everything uh both of you have said uh Special shout outs. Uh, the, the young girl is played by Sandy Desher and she did a wonderful job at a, at a young age for a performer of really selling the terror. And uh, back in 1954, a lot of full adult performances were not as good um, in, in having emotional gravitas as her performance as a child. Like, Things were hit and miss back then. You know, there's some the stone cold masterpieces, you know, a lot of the fifties had a lot of Billy Wilder films and Hitchcocks that were like top shelf, even by today's standards. There was also a lot of drivel, um, but she nailed it. Uh, I love like you, you, you both mentioned, especially you, Mike, I really loved the sound design and the use of uh, the, you know, cause we, we can't really, unless you're a superhero I don't know about, uh, <laughs> hear ants, little sounds to their to themselves unless they're heavily amplified, right? So to have it amplified for us, it sounds very alien, and, and it really feels like it is everywhere in the film. It is 360, it is surrounding. So you kind of get the terror when you can't see them, and... I mean, ants are disproportionately strong and they're, they're, they're menacing. So if they were the size of a car, they could lift the building, you know, um, and do serious damage. And there's so many of them uh, that it's a really frightening premise for what it is. And I thought they executed the scares well. The effects were pretty good for 54 um, when they actually showed the large ants and then like... Uh, um, yeah, it was. It, I, I just feel like at a technical level, it was really well executed in ways that kind of made it scarier than a 1954 science fiction film should be. Um, I really love it. I, I love watching it with people for the first time because people are surprised by exactly how good it is. And I also, unsurprisingly, would give it a five to five. Uh, a couple of fun facts that I learned about that film specifically um where is it uh so when the movie was first released in sweden it was called the spiders hmm. uh i am uh, those are different things i don't know why uh it would be called the spiders but apparently according to the fine folks at turner classic movies uh, apparently it was for context is so uh them is part of this you know tradition of, of American nuclear monsters that, you know, er, ergo the title of the episode, that really kind of came as a result of Cold War fears, right? So obviously the the, the, the U.S. dropped nuclear weapons on, on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, very tragically. Uh, 
and that was terrifying. But then in the post-war era, we knew what, you know, terrible things nuclear power could do. And with Soviet Russia being a, a, post-World War II antagonistic power and they had a bunch of nukes, there was this, you know, growing fear of the nuclear menace and eventually it kind of translated into uh, into both film and then also there's a lot of in comics too, uh, which is why a lot of the really early, for example, like Marvel heroes, uh, like, oh, the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and the Hulk are all just like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe radiation can make you a spider boy. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it can make you a big green guy. I was reading Jekyll and Hyde. I don't, okay, sure, it can do that. Um, let's make up a different type of radiation. So all these things stemmed from how the the U.S. you know creators and studios and whatever have processed the nuclear fears of the time. Uh, obviously, Japan um, had their own large monster tradition starting... Also in 19, well, uh, for America, it didn't start in 54, but uh, the, the tradition of kaiju films, the, the first and, and arguably one of the greatest movies of all time was 1954's Godzilla, where there's a lot of comparisons you can make between their treatment of, of, of nuclear monstrosity and ours, um, and we'll probably end up getting to some of that, but uh, the fact remains that they they treated uh their movies are a lot more cynical about like the government the powers that be and scientists and their ability to do anything other than accidental bad things um versus uh some of the the parts of the american tradition um i will mention though briefly that one of the first good nuclear monster films uh, was 1953's The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, which boasted some killer Ray uh, Harryhausen uh, effects and inspired both subsequent American movies and also inspired Godzilla. Um, that film was pretty fun. Basically, it's, it's a fictional dinosaur, the Radiosaurus, which was released from hibernation by a nuclear bomb test. Um, and it just starts smashing shit. So it's, it's a good time. A good time was had by all. There was lots of screaming and some cool special effects. And it was so good that it inspired a whole bunch of other, um, uh, a whole bunch of other creative properties. Uh, and weirdly it was Warner brothers and it was, it was successful enough that the, it, it greenlit for them. Uh, them the following year which them was warner brothers most profitable film in 1954 so this hmm. it's a tradition that had legs um fiscally speaking little ant legs <laughs> lots of there little ant legs hmm. if you if you really wanted uh me to be afraid of a large nuclear bug thing that grew to a large size i'll give you two one praying mantises those things are freaky even when they're small. If they were giant, mm-hmm. no. They got size instead of hands. It's freaky. Two, millipedes. Uh, if we're going to talk about giant radioactive legs, oh, God. those things are gross. Yeah. Uh, and they're predatory. And 
can you imagine just hearing like the, the stomping of little feet and you're like, oh no, it's a whole bunch of millipedes. Like, no, it's just one just rampaging forever. Terrifying. Um, that's my random aside. And I don't, I don't know if there are any giant millipede movies, at least from that era. I didn't come up. But there is one of a praying mantis Mm -hmm. that breaks out of an iceberg. It's not really nuclear, but it's like prehistoric kind of thing. Yeah, It's almost like in the same avenue as the blob, except it's not from outer space. Mm-hmm. But it, like it could still be, I think, shoehorned into that. Yeah. But the movie's really not that uh, exciting beyond the um, giant praying mantis. Yeah, it's basically yeah. like one of those movies is like primed for a remake. Because like it's the a, idea has mm-hmm. has some potential. It's a, yeah, it's a good mystery science theater episode though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I endorse um, that. Kind of speaking of things that sort of skirt the line and actually has a direct connection to them is um, the original The Thing from Another World, which mm-hmm. both has um, James Arness in them. And from roughly about the same time, um, mm-hmm. the original The Thing was 51. This was 54. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, I, I know the remake's better. Um I'm of course talking about the 2011 the thing. Uh, obviously, of <laughs> yeah, obviously yeah. the greatest. It's not even the greatest film starring Mary Mary Elizabeth Winstead, but <laughs> um, but yeah, like you know the the thing from another world definitely isn't really atomic age, but I feel like it kind of you could still sort of like put it in that like. Um, cold war anxiety of the other um Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting though yeah looking back um and i'll pivot because we're this isn't really this is a little bit off topic but you know you were saying about how these movies have a very like cynical kind of approach with the military and um like the government at large and it's so interesting because the the original the thing from another world is like almost like patriotic, but also very cynical of the government at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like it's this really interesting kind of tug and pull. Um, although it is like very anti-science. Um, like the mm-hmm. de facto um, villain besides the creature is like the, the one gung ho scientist that wants to just learn and study from this thing. Um, yeah. But you know, He's the bad uh, guy. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting too because some of these films, like uh, the the American ones, were a little more optimistic about government than the the, the Japanese ones, which were just mm-hmm. like um, America bad uh, and scary. Uh, our government inept and incompetent, and the only scientists that could really do anything are the ones that make weapons that we shouldn't have made. So it was it was like mm-hmm. pure cynicism. Versus, like, there's at least a counterbalancing in, not all, but many of the American ones uh, that were like, okay, there's there's rogue scientists, there's scary technology, but there are also sometimes good scientists and sometimes, you know, good, you know, even if the government's kind of bad, there's always, like, you know, like a good FBI agent, you know, like someone that's, it's like a 
balance they try and have like a balance of good and evil because probably you if you were too critical you'd get labeled a communist so you have to like uh in the 50s you have to keep that shit on lock oh yeah um yeah i mean the whole like red uh red scare thing in hollywood that could that could be a whole episode on its own yeah and you know oh yeah i'm thinking how um how much more biting of uh of of a satire or a series of satires these movies would be if um the like the blacklisting in Hollywood had gone any other direction or if um, we hadn't gone into the Hayes code mm-hmm. as early as we did, um, at least as far as Hollywood films go, um, where I think there would be a lot more freedom in these movies for even just like the directors, maybe the screenwriters probably did, mm-hmm. but I, I think it was shaved down a considerable amount before they could get a real shooting script, Mm -hmm. but um, of like really adamantly pointing the finger to these institutions that not only allowed the creation and testing of like these knowingly like debilitating and uh, civilization destroying Mm -hmm. weapons, but um, just being okay with, not knowing what comes after that, even if it affects themselves. And I think that's probably where some of these movies get to yeah. um, in some respects, maybe not as much as they wanted to. Um, where, whereas like, I think the American nuclear monsters are as much of a fear of other countries mm-hmm. using those types of weapons or things in that area on us, mm-hmm. but also if we had used it on someone else and, and uh, that sort of comes back to bite us in the yeah. ass, like cursing like the whole world uh, because of like a, a petty uh, country versus country um, warlike scenario. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Almost like a karmic retribution. Definitely. And I, I think between that and, and Mike, what you were talking about with, um, uh, some of the other films in the area that aren't necessarily nuclear, but are like like Alien Menace, Robot, yeah. Day of the Year Stood Still, stuff like that. Um, that's kind of where uh, these traditions all definitely like intersect with those overlapping like Fear of the Others, you know, because uh, you have the the extraterrestrial ones that are just like, well, what if a power that was stronger than us um, did to us what we did elsewhere? you know, or could, or threatened to. And then you also had this fear of like the, the perceived to be equally powerful Soviet union with its nuclear arsenal and its strong military. That was always that kind of like cultural cold war counterpole, you know? And so um, there's a lot of overlap between all these themes and both the kind of external power, alien menace, type stuff and then also the nuclear fears type stuff um yeah i mean plus i mean i mean if you look at the time that we were living in this was post um the second world um war but then also you had the korean war that was like currently going on Mm -hmm. 
which was like early to mid fifties. I'm not a war historian, but it was somewhere in that time frame that we were in the Korean War. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm just verifying somebody... that, but between fifty and fifty-three. That's oh, okay. So yeah, in that um, yes. So I mean, even though like you know, them was fifty-four. I mean, we were still kind of that was still very fresh in the the public eye. I mean, and, and culturally, it had like a pretty big impact for a while. I mean, look at Mash, which was made afterwards. You know, yeah. Um, like we forget about it now, but nobody forgot about it then. Um, yeah, yeah. The um, the country that, or the countries that we uh, invade, or you know, inter. Um, yeah, let's just say invade. Um, we can be accurate. They they will never forget that. Yeah, they'll never forget our transgressions against them. Like whether or not like the conflict was justified mm. in any means, but like the way that we went about fighting about it is is always going to like um, just burn images into the minds of and and the lives of people who have been uh, significantly affected. Mm-hmm physically mentally right everything so absolutely because i mean because if you look at it like um i mean you there there are arguments to be made that dropping i mean the justification for dropping nuclear weapons on japan uh which was absolutely fucking terrible thing to do to people uh was the justification at the time was that it was necessary to win that front of world war ii but you know was it though? Like there, there are. It was. Yeah, there, yeah. there are scholars that basically um, now, in historical hindsight, have convincing arguments that it wasn't even strategically necessary. So it was just the worst thing that a country has done to another country, and it, not like a, a strategic reason could have made it more like less morally abhorrent, but uh, it wouldn't have. But they didn't even have that. It just happened for its own sake as, as a, as something that, you know, I I feel like Americans at the time kind of expected to have to answer for at some level, you know? Uh, And then subsequent, you know, history and, and, you know, Vietnam and Laos and uh, all these other parts of Asia where it was just like, you know, under the guise of fighting, communism but it was really just a succession of like territorial power plays and war crimes like for many countries in Mm -hmm. the world the u.s has long been the bad guy throughout the americas throughout asia um and we like to think of ourselves as a liberator but uh that's not really i don't know yeah i i feel like the movie that best sums this up is um Team America, World Police. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that didn't have a like a giant monster in there because that would have been a great way to just like really hammer that point home. Mm-hmm. So apparently that movie was such a nightmare to make. Um, the Maybe a little bit less than a year after that came out, um, the Chiodo brothers did a convention um, did I, I think like the very first Monster Mania Con like over 10 years ago at this point. Um, 
So they were like, oh, are they going to do a sequel? And they were like, hell no, because it stressed um, Trey, Trey and Matt so much that like they would never, ever want to do something like that again. But they were like, I feel like they were supposed to do like um, a giant monster movie at one point and it just didn't happen. I vaguely it, remember something about that. Um but yeah, it's it's it that would have been kind of kind of awesome if they had somehow like threw a kaiju in there somewhere. But I hey, I think that we should this yeah. is gonna surprise everyone. I hope everyone at home is sitting down. I think we should have a kaiju in everything. Um, yeah, sound of music like, music mom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The hills are alive and she's like spinning on top of the head of a kaiju. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, I probably would actually watch it then. <laughs> it would be worth your time under that. But you condition. know what? I, I, I think <laughs> I, I think uh, James Gunn did a pretty good job in uh, taking that Team America uh, attitude mm-hmm. uh, a little, definitely way more toned down. But yeah. like with his the Suicide yeah. Squad, mm-hmm. especially with his usage of Starro, yeah. which I think is a perfect amalgamation of um, both like the American nuclear mm-hmm. monsters, even though like. They're not fighting it in America, but it's like on a facility that is very uh, Quatermass yeah, too. It's, it's like America's um, fault that that thing occurred, you know? Yeah, it's like we are we're not even keeping it on U.S. soil. We're keeping it over in the um, Maltesian yeah. islands, and that's run by a dictator that like we sweeping puppet, it under the rug. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. puppeting dictators is the most American. Who is going to marry an American? Yeah. So absolutely no, but I'm I'm glad you brought that up because it does definitely like bring a lot of those forward with, with being like very real about us political actions, um, bringing the kaiju in there. I still think they did dirty by my boy Starro, team Starro for life. Um, <laughs> he just wanted to watch yeah. the stars. Oh, who knows if he's really dead hmm? though. I mean, I, I'm not con- entirely convinced that, like Starro is completely gone. Oh you know? yeah, yeah. There's an argument to be made there. Um, Listen, he lives on in our hearts. So is he really gone? Starro. Exactly. We have a starfish in all of our hearts. <laughs> Here I'm going to pour one out for. I'm not going to waste coffee, but uh, but in my heart, I'm pouring one out. For You're going to pour one out into your mouth for yeah. Starro. <laughs> like here we go. <laughs> uh, so starfish to mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, somewhere Limp Biscuit is laughing. Um, <laughs> and chase it with the hot dog flavor. Oh wow. We're we're so mature. Um thanks, thanks. So Cold War. So anyway, <laughs> ge- the complex geopolitical legacy of uh US colonial projects. Um uh I wanted to kind of take a, a bit of a pivot back to topic because I wanted to ask you guys um what do you uh, like? Are, like, are there other? Because there's so many different nuclear monsters. Not all of them are big. Um, in the '50s, really cool stuff. Do you all have any other favorites? Yeah, um, th- there's one that that I'll, I'll mention as a lead up. Uh, although it doesn't have any monsters, it has the same kind of um, feeling of dread and. Um, hopelessness that a lot of these movies or at least if they were trying to convey um they came 
about a little half-heartedly, you know, with, like, the giant monsters and stuff. It's hard to cultivate dread when you have, like, a big doofy monster that's just, like, stepping on people. <laughs> um, but the thing about nuclear fallout is um, it can be even more terrifying than, like, whatever um, gigantic version of a smaller creature that we can ever, like, dream mm. up. Um, so I, I just want to talk a little bit about, uh, the movie five, which is a, it's a small ensemble piece from, I want to say the fifties for sure. Um, but it follows five survivors in nuclear fallout where, uh, the U S has developed these special kind of nuclear bombs that, um, when they're dropped in heavily populated areas, uh, they, destroy all organic matter but they leave like buildings um cars other structural things like bridges and other roads like those are kept completely intact but only the humans die it, it gets a little hokey because you know it's the 50s and they're still coming up with a lot of this but it comes pretty close mm -hmm. to being really terrifying um and like the five survivors, they kind of settle into these archetypes of how they had lived their lives prior to the bombs dropping. And um, when they realize the Holocaust that they're now emerging mm -hmm. from, they kind of, they self-assign themselves like these roles. Like, you know, you go leadership, you go support, um, maybe complete denial and like just wanting to go away from it all. Maybe even like, um, into like areas of self harm, just wanting to remove yourself from this world or situation. Uh, and it's like I said, there, there are no monsters in it whatsoever, but I think it deserves a mention. Um, and, uh, I don't know where the movie is available, but it's, I feel like it's, pretty easy to find although yeah um there's it, it's hard to describe more without kind of talking through the whole movie but mm -hmm. there's like an american idea of neo-fascism that comes through um which is equally more terrifying especially now oh, yeah. uh where that you could you could use that as your monster allegory mm -hmm. There's one person who um, he talks through his own um, subscription to the idea of like a Superman mm. in like a very terrifying way, you yeah. know, um, almost like Hitler's belief that he had some kind of like superiority, like physical superiority of the, over other people. Okay, um, which. It's kind of like creating, thinking that you are turning into a physical like other, mm -hmm. which is a little bit more cerebral of a monster than any of these other movies. But um, I feel like that's a that's a necessary stepping stone, especially for American cynicism. It's far beyond satirism; it's full on cynicism. Yeah, okay. um, but I'm going to pivot from there to one of my favorite. Um, post-Holocaust American monster movies, 
and that is a robot monster. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this movie so much. It's it's almost like five, except there's just like a family in like New Mexico or something, some southwest area of the United States, and they're terrorized by a giant gorilla guy with a metal bucket helmet with the TV antennas, <laughs> and he has a he has a two-way like video radio communication that makes bubbles like literal mm. bubbles and he is tasked with killing the rest of the humans on the planet who have been unceremoniously missed by their gigantic bombs and he just cannot seem to do it <laughs> <laughs> he keeps failing at every turn and then he ends up falling for them which is great it's a, it's like a can we all just get along at the end which is like in the the lens of like this cold war fear and like nuclear scare and everything in retrospect could be seen as a little bit of a slap in the face of like like you're really not taking this seriously or in stride but the way that the movie goes is um it almost points to how um slightly out of touch some of the uh producers executives were when they were like why is it so bleak? Like, let's <laughs> let's put some fun in there. Like, they got to survive by the end, right? <laughs> so, I, I think even if you don't think it's a good movie, it's worth um, examining. Okay. I think because it is a reaction, and it's a valid reaction to um, like post nuclear uh, attack or possibly self inflicted Holocaust or um, just bad luck. <laughs> for the u.s at least uh that sounds fantastic and um i'm trying to see if the folks at home can watch it for free uh i think you can get it on youtube yeah you can search there's also a um there's a mystery science theater 3000 episode i think of robot as monster there be. um Cool. Yeah. So folks at home, you can rent it officially and formally. You can purchase it as I am probably going to do after we're done recording, or you can Google search it and find it on the YouTube. And it sounds amazing. Thank you for that, Andre. Um, Mike, any, uh, any favorites of yours that we have not broached? Yeah. So this is technically not the fifties. This is um, the sixties, but it is horror of party beach. <laughs> see that yes yes i've been meaning to get the uh blu-ray from severin but for right now this is what i've been rocking it's beautiful um, so um most most of y'all are probably familiar with the mystery science theater episode um but it's a really fun um radioactive sea creature monster um that looks like he has hot dogs in his mouth um <laughs> kind of looks like the the creature from the black lagoon but like playing chubby bunny the whole, it's the like, whole movie <laughs> it's like you got the creature from the black lagoon um from like wish um maybe even more more bargain basement than that um, from hollywood boulevard he's just like pining for photos um but yeah it's it's a pretty fun movie it's one of those movies that it definitely i think has 
a level of self-awareness um and like tongue-in-cheek um quality to it like there's no way that there there wasn't some kind of like acknowledgement that this was kind of crap um <laughs> but uh yeah it's a lot of fun i i really like the kind of like beatnik um surfer kind of monster uh mm-hmm. rock and roll kind of fusion um you know it is so painfully of its time that it's pretty wonderful um mm-hmm. i've tried to watch it with without the mst3k commentary and it's still pretty good um it's certainly one of the few um movies from that show that i probably would actually watch without the you know outside of the uh, mystery science theater um like guys but yeah it's a lot of fun um it's one of those that it's kind of one of the perfect summer movies i think uh yeah the program like a like a summer it's a great beach it's perfect you know here's like i was never that into the the those beach movies that they made you know um but dang nabbit that one has my attention <laughs> um this is what they needed the whole time beach blanket bingo with mo- bingo with monsters i'm there or well, there um, was like a wasn't there like um a ghost beach movie with boris karloff oh which one was that um the ghost with the invisible bikini or something like that you know what that's a little yeah, it was the, the ghost with the invisible the ghost bikini. Invis- that is uh <laughs> i've never seen that one that's a great title though that screams forest well off, right? damn it now i want that poster <laughs> that's hilarious that is a great title um, bless you boris karloff i have a I feeling the title is so much better than the actual movie but um it does have karloff in it though so there's yeah if if seeing karloff again is the worst it gets we're fine um unless you're bella lugosi and then he's a limey cocksucker <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know i love karloff but i'm always team lugosi i will always i will die team lugosi um my antifa <laughs> dracula i love that gent um yeah. so, so antifa dracula that's that's gonna be the name of the movie i make about him anyway i'll cut that from the episode so nobody steals it um uh thank you for that mike i will definitely check that out and uh the ghost in the invisible bikini um because why not it's a bonus um i wanted to kind of rep um two films from 1955 one of them is good and one of them is fun um so uh probably the second best of the giant nuclear monsters uh ones of the 50 is uh tarantula or or excuse me it's stylized it's tarantula because it has that (laughs) exclamation mark also um where it's basically them but with a giant massive tarantula that's rampaging uh the countryside um it's it's another one that's actually like really weirdly good. Um, the the actual juxtaposition of them filming this tarantula and superimposing it on you know with the human actors and these regular landscapes it was actually like really well done. And it's not quite as good as them, uh, but it's still really fun. It's a good watch. Um, so I'd recommend uh, folks check that one out if you feel like it. 
And then um, also in 1955 is uh, The Creature with the Atom Brain. Um, that was one yeah. of the ones I was going to bring oh, up here. There you go. Pretty great song, too. Yes. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great um, song. So it's funny. I have a, I got, I had the DVD of it for a very long time and recently replaced it with the, um, the, Cold War the Cold War creatures set. Um, but mm-hmm. it's this weird one where, uh, um, so an American gangster gets a Nazi scientist to create zombies for him using like these radio, like radioactive, like um, this radioactive, like science experiment that reanimates the brain stem and allows them to be also like controlled. And you can kind of see through their eyes too. Um, and so he basically has a little, a Nazi scientist make radioactive like zombies from reanimated corpses. And it's, it's schlocky, but it's actually, it's very fun. And it's actually kind of scary in certain parts because the concept is scary because the treatment, uh, I mean, they kill a lot of people and the treatment can turn them into subordinate zombies pretty quickly. So it's like, imagine if there was an evil gangster that, you know, was his radioactive zombies were killing people. And then his army was just growing very, like very quickly. Um, it's a very scary premise, even if, you know, it's kind of a goofy film. It's still really fun though. Um, so. Yeah. It's almost like a zombie by proxy, yeah. but through like mad science, it's a weird mishmash of yes. things, but it tends to make a lot of points. And it's interesting that it starts the story by following organized crime yeah. and the failings of police investigation. I think it's trying to say something there. Yeah. And then also um, uh, it has a little bit to say about the use of Nazi scientists and the perils of trying to use Nazi scientists for, for other ends, which our government uh, infamously did. Um and so coming out in the 50s, you know, it has a much better edge to it than it should. Uh, and it's it's a really interesting use of uh, the radiation fears to make it a different kind of film. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I would also recommend that Cold War creature set altogether uh, is a really good four pack of films. Um like the, uh, I love basically everything in that set, actually. Yeah, Jeff, did you also have that? Like before you had the Blu-rays, it was it that was like the Sam Katzman collection. No, I had individual titles. I didn't uh, seek out the okay. actual collection. Um, yeah, there I was. Have, I think it was like all of the titles were just from that DVD set mm-hmm. re-released. Um, yeah. Next. Yeah, the transfers are super good in the re-release. Um, but I had the mm-hmm. giant claw. I had creature with the atom brain. I think the only one I didn't have with the was like the zombies of Mora Tower or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that one. It's just like it, I, I found it hard to find. Um, 
uh, but yeah, uh, any other um, recommendations before we pivot? Um, I got a, I got one real cool. quick one. Uh, I'm sure we're going to mention some other ones in passing because of uh, just like history of cinematic portrayals of um, nuclear fears. But um, I think one that that does get purposed pretty well, especially still during the Cold War, but after the fact of like the initial um, bomb slash fallout slash uh, nuclear radiation scares uh, would probably be a movie directed by Donald G. Jackson. And you probably already know what I'm going to talk about, and that's uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown, <laughs> which is very much a nuclear monster movie. Um, although it's a little bit more Fallout-oriented, where like there's a double-edged sword here, where uh, there has been an apocalypse, apocalyptic event, World War Three, something like that. And not only are, like, the main populated areas of the United States complete wastelands, um, it also mutated some, like, um, flora, fauna life into basically giant, for their size, uh, anthropomorphic uh, frog creatures. Mm. And... They built a civilization. They have some sort of uh, resilience to um, like contaminated, irradiated, like water and mm. food stuffs, and they're already like mutating from there. Um, but it's also rendered every single male human being that still survives uh, as completely sterile, so no one can have children. Um, at all, except uh, enter Rowdy Roddy Piper, <laughs> uh, who's the only guy <laughs> on the planet that has bankable sperm. So uh, they, it's basically uh, Escape from New York, but with mutant frogs. And instead of saving the president, he has to impregnate as many um, princesses from like Frogtown as possible to. <laughs> basically just kind of like instill hope back into the human race and it's in hindsight a little xenophobic especially when you're when you're including these frog creatures and they're always set on the other side of the fence yeah. um like they're not they're not considered um trustworthy enough to develop any sort of um relationship with like maybe here and there, like as an inside contact, but only for the job that's being done here. So there, there's something to be said about how it's generally untrustworthy of, especially creatures that were created out of human error. Mm -hmm. So, um, but all in all, I mean, it, it's a really fun movie and it doesn't come back to those themes at all because it's, it's a little bit on the surface, sure. but if you dig a little deeper, you can definitely get to 
some underlying themes that may or may not have been put there deliberately. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's it's definitely worth a watch, uh, especially in like the retrospective attitude of nuclear monsters as they were introduced in the 1950s. Yeah. Just in a different Absolutely. way. Uh, I would also add that um, uh, it also allows you to do a Roddy Piper 1988 double feature where he has characters with very like double entendre level names. Uh, so he's Sam Hell here mm-hmm. and then in, in They Live, uh, which is a stone cold masterpiece. Uh, he's John Nada. So it's a perfect 1988 Roddy Piper double feature that I would wholly yep. endorse. Um, and also very xenophobic, but for good reasons. Yeah, exactly. Because the other are bad. They're rich people. Um, so for that one, you know. With well, their digital watches. Yeah, it's like we have one that can see. Um, oh, man, I got to watch that again. But yes, thank you so much for that recommendation. Um, the only other thing that I will mention, and then Mike will, will end off on you, is uh, also read any of Marvel's output in the early 60s. Because in the early 60s, you know, like the, the at least the massive nuclear monsters were, um, uh, you know, throughout the 50s. But in the 60s, you started to see a lot more of it infiltrating comics. And a lot of Marvel's output of that era were vaguely defined types of radiation causing certain mutations that gave people powers. So you have like the gamma radiation that made the Hulk in uh, 1962 uh, in the incredible Hulk may 1962 specifically, you have uh, a radioactive spider biting Peter Parker in amazing fantasy number 15 in 1962. Uh, And then the first fantastic four Marvel's first family were uh, hit by ill-defined cosmic radiation and mutated uh, to shit in 1961. So early 60s Marvel was just like, we need powers. Uh, radiation, 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 radiation. Mm-hmm. All the early heroes. So um, I really think they need to do like a whole different tradition of like 1960s heroes and put it in the 1960s and it's all weird radiation and old, like, just radioactive people punch Nazis. That's what I want to see, Marvel. Feige, hit me up. <laughs> There's my rant. <laughs> uh, Mike, do you have any uh, any final recommendation, good sir? Uh, yeah, definitely. So I would say, um, you know, if we're going to talk about, like, um, radioactive monsters, I think we should definitely talk um, Toxic Avenger. That's... Uh, a huge recommend and yeah. i think it's interesting because it also kind of ties back into um like the 50s and the 60s stuff because um that was obviously something that probably very much influenced uh, lloyd kaufman um mm-hmm. you know to make something with sort of an 80s spin because you know there's I mean, that's why you see a lot of great 50s movies being remade in the 80s, like The Thing, The Blob. The Fly. Um, I mean, Invasion of the Body Snatchers was technically the 70s, but close enough. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm sure there's other ones I'm not, not thinking about, but 
Yeah, yeah, it's like this really interesting like nostalgia cycle that we're going through. Um, you know, in the '80s, it was like the '50s and '60s. Now it's like mm-hmm. for us, it's like the '80s and '90s um, that we're super nostalgic for. Yep. So, um, yeah, um, Toxie's awesome, and Toxie is awesome. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, it's you know you can you can see why it's kind of the flagship of trauma i think it's easily one of the most creative and interesting mm-hmm. um i'm yep. a little bit hit or miss with um trauma especially yeah. new trauma but yeah yeah to- um toxic yeah. avengers uh easily my favorite yeah i still remember like yeah oh, go and... ahead go ahead andre oh just gonna mention that um that one's also getting a remake coming mm-hmm. pretty soon. Oh, yeah. Uh, although they're being a little picky with how far along they are with that. Yeah. But uh, with, if I remember correctly, Peter Dinklage playing the titular mm-hmm. Toxic Avenger. Yeah. Yep, you're right. Uh, so I'm super looking forward to that one. I want to see that. Um, it was funny because, uh, fun fact, one of the, the earliest, like Toxic Avenger was one of the earliest sort of uh, schlock cinema films that I saw um growing up because you know i grew up in eastern washington not a lot of that got out there in the uh early 90s but i had a buddy i was like oh no okay come over to my house we're gonna watch a movie that i really love and it was toxic avenger i'm like this is awesome (laughs) i loved it so much i have a very soft spot in my heart for for good old toxie yeah it's it's funny like i have a similar experience with that and it uh, Cannibals, a musical. That was one Ooh. that was oh, yeah. um, a buddy oh, had the um, VHS, I think, because I'm because I'm old. Um, and it was kind of amazing because his like parents kind of didn't give a shit what we watched, so it was like, "Hey, I got this tape, and it's hilarious and weird, and it's definitely one of those movies that I think really holds up." Um, yep oh i love it great i love it uh thank you for sharing that um (laughs) we ended up just kind of organically doing a lot of deep dive stuff up front because you can't really you have to contextualize this set of monsters um yeah you can't really talk about these without like addressing that right pretty quickly after yeah because they're like oh like why like radioactive alien things and big ants and weird zombies like why uh fun fact because they were absolutely terrified at the terrible things they've done and could be done to them so yeah uh, i wonder if there's like so th- there's different classes to the approach of uh the genesis of these monsters mm-hmm. or creatures yeah. um in these different movies and, like there's the uh like if we can go to Japan real quick for um, 1954's, 1954's Godzilla, mm-hmm. um, there's there's a big difference between the. Um, I'm gonna wait for my cat to jump. I can see her. <laughs> nope, she's not. She's just looking. Contemplating. Okay, um, there's a big difference between. Um, oh, there she goes. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the Japanese uh, immediacy of having this inflicted upon them Mm -hmm. and then needing to say something about it. Yeah. Um, It's, it's wholly necessary. And um, 
I want to say uh, cathartic in some ways, but I can't say for sure because I, I am not, I don't identify as Japanese. I'm not um, from that country. Yeah. And, and it's hard to say um, also not living in that era too, specifically. Um, we have so much yeah. removal. But there's, there's, there's a weight that comes with um, telling those stories mm-hmm. that the United States kind of um, appropriate in mm-hmm. a way. And uh, the one thing I do want to address is the the United States then appropriation of Godzilla by making it an American film after it had done so well uh-huh. in Japan, but not realizing why. Yeah, I think it's it's this tone deafness that uh, you can uh, supplant in like you know thinking that you know what American audiences will resonate with that Japanese audiences did. Um, and this is still specifically the Godzilla Japanese release versus the Godzilla U S release. Yeah. The 56. And, um, it was also very xenophobic where, um, you just, I mean, they kept all of the footage of the original Godzilla, Japanese Godzilla, but, uh, by shooting, brand new scenes with an American actor Mm -hmm. just reacting to things because producers and uh, suits did not think that um, American audience members would identify with a foreign person's fear of their own country being destroyed. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot that's said there and um, it's not the first time that they've gone back to that. Well, like I would even argue that like the American Godzilla movies now have no business being here. Mm. Every once in a while you, you get a good Godzilla movie, but like we're kind of missing the point, I think. And like we continually. Yeah. Miss it. Yeah. I think, I think you're, um, I mean, I love the MonsterVerse films. I love that there's a whole Hollywood franchise that's committed to, like, Hollow Earth theory. Yeah, great. there's, there's um, great stuff in there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. However, I do think that you're right that they are missing something inherent, and you can even see that in their treatment of, like, the origins of Godzilla, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, in, in the original Godzilla, Godzilla was um, a thing that radiation changed right um versus in the monster verse it is something that was just that way and and in a, a you know a time it, it was woken up right yeah. um so it's more like a part of nature and and it the monster verse does interesting things about um kind of a gaia theory approach of like how we're not really the, it has eco, interesting ecological implications in what they're doing but it is a fundamentally different thing and you can directly compare when you see like Shin Godzilla from a similar era that sticks to the original tone of the 54 and it's like there it's like a creature that was um, rapidly evolved by radioactive like bomb drops and tests and stuff and into basically like a, a, a massive hate machine that lives for destruction Um like it's just a fundamentally different feel and set of implications. And um, I like 
a lot of what the MonsterVerse stuff does and what it, its implications for the environment, etc. But I do think you're right, Andre, that it kind of loses some of what some of the original power and purpose of of the original Toho Godzilla lineage, you know? Yeah. And like, I'm not saying that these movies need to uh, go back to that in order to be and feel authentic. But like when you make, and like, admittedly, I still haven't seen the first Godzilla of the MonsterVerse. Um, mm. I, so I can't say anything about that one. Um, but when, when you go from King of the Monsters, where it's basically just throwing everything at you, um, it comes off as kind of glib and, and like cheap mm. in, in that regard, sure. especially coming from this conversation. But when by the time you get through uh, Godzilla versus Kong, um, there's like a self-examination of uh, systemic failings that are specific to this country that I think makes it a better... Uh, lens to look through for mm -hmm. that that for movies like that that uh, take those intrinsically foreign properties uh, to try to make a statement about something uh, mm -hmm. I think it works better when we're examining ourselves as a country um, to then like put these superimpose like these giant monsters even if you throw in fucking hollow earth theory, there's vegetables in the center of the earth. There's <laughs> no gravity. Sure. I mean, there's both gravity and there isn't. Yeah. But mm -hmm. the fact that we're following a, a side character that is so despicably, um, suspicious of like his own government even the place that he works for that he actively rails against it on his off time like there's nothing more american than that <laughs> like and i yeah. think that's that's what these movies are missing is like they're using these giant monsters as a substitute for like a real identity or purpose and yeah get there like in godzilla versus kong that we can actually start making some real statements and like, yeah. King of the monsters is like a, it's a fun effects driven thing, but there's, there's nothing really there for me that gives it, um, that deeper meaning that even, uh, creature with the atom brain had like something underneath the surface. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, for me, uh, and I'm interested in your thoughts too, Mike. Um, for me, I do think that it takes a more Gaia theory approach to being like, you know, we're not the top of the food chain and we've been destroying the earth and the earth's going to destroy us back. And Godzilla's like, uh, kind like all of these emerging kaiju are part of like, almost like the earth's immune system against something out of alignment, AKA us. Um, I think because that flies in the face of the anthropocentrism that underlies our civilization, I guess, um, in the West, in the U S um, if you can call it, what we have a civilization. Uh, I do think that it has some intellectual power there. Um, even if sometimes it fumbles more than others. Um, 
but I also agree that it it there is something lost when you desituate it from the culture that it came from and their concerns and their critical lens on like U.S. Uh, you know war atrocities and colonial tendencies and other things and imperialism. Like I, I think that that is a meaningful loss. So I, I'm glad that you brought that up. And, and kind of to that effect and Andre, I think what you, you brought up was really interesting and something that I never really kind of considered uh, until now. But um, so I guess when they did the um, Godzilla versus King Kong, I guess, pretty famous like kong was supposed to be like america which i think is interesting because i think the original king kong can maybe be like an allegory for slavery oh yeah definitely um so i you know to that end i think it's kind of interesting when you have like the remake of godzilla versus king kong which you know one is is steeped in more japanese um culture and history and then the other one you could see as definitely more maybe like the american kind of inverse to that Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. i could see that there was there were rumors too that there were like for the 1962 one that there were different endings even but Um, yeah yeah i don't remember dramatically different cuts though there's like there's the u.s universal pictures cut uh and there's the toho pictures cut it's, it's been a while yeah. since I've seen them lately, so I can't say for sure that I remember what they were. Yeah. Uh, but they both ended the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say one thing that was woefully missing from the Monster vs. Godzilla vs. Kong that was present in the 62 is that they gave King Kong random electrical powers in 62 that they Lightning probably powers. forgot about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, just walk along being a monkey and just be like, oh shit, I gotta like absorb electricity and use it against Godzilla. Where was that? Legendary. Yeah. I will say I really, really enjoyed the the new King Kong versus Godzilla. Um oh, I, I loved it, yeah. Uh, it's easily I had a blast. My <laughs> yeah, now Gosh, forgive me because I can't think of the guy's name, but it was it was kind of cool because he came up as um, like I remember like his very first indie horror movie, Pop Skull. Um, and then the wind just basically... Huh. I'm trying to remember his name. Sorry. The... Yeah, was, uh, Adam Wingard. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Right. right. Um, and it was so interesting because I was thinking like I well I can't remember if it was an interview. Um, some kind of interview he did. I can't remember if it was like written or a, a filmed interview where he was like, you know, doing my first feature. I had so much like just saying how like crazy hard he had to hustle just to get that feature made. But mm-hmm. now he's, you know, doing huge tentpole films. I think that's, yeah. I mean, it's a super dumb tangent, but that's, I think it's fucking awesome. I love that. No, I'm um, happy for him. Cause like, like some of his earlier stuff, I know that like the death note and his Blair, Witch were met like a little middlingly. Yeah. Right. But I will say his earlier films, you're next. And the guest are great. Mm. You're next is great. Like oh, that yeah. movie it rips. Uh, um, and the guest super fun watch. 
Um, and what's his name is pretty cute. Um, the uh, lead guy in that. Huh? Yep. Dan uh, Stevens. I know exactly what Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens, the man who invented Christmas. Yes. Yeah, I, I love Dan Stevens' pivot. Um, I love these actors that are in these like major franchises or whatever. And instead of getting like pigeonholed into just being like handsome or whatever, they're just like, no, 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 no. weird shit only. Like, because he left Down Abbey and then started making things like The Guest. Like, yeah. Oh, God bless Apostle. you, Dan Stevens. Apostle, uh, yeah. Legion. Um, Dan Stevens is great. Like, I just love that, like, um, you know, less of a heartthrobby, but I love that Daniel Radcliffe is like in the most popular franchise of its era, and then he proceeds to do weird stuff like horns only. Like and, uh, you have a blank check. And, and he's playing Weird Al in a biopic, and like, you know, I can't wait to see I can't wait to watch the fuck out of that. It's, yeah, like, absolutely. You know, it's, it's not a giant monster, but I'm sure they'll mention one at some point. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like Elijah Wood. I like how not only does yes. he do weird movies but he's like a pretty awesome producer um yeah like his um i it's criminally underrated but his um no man of god is so Mm. great um the ted bundy movie yeah Mm. it's good uh, I think I, I think I watched that because we were both covering the fest, and mm. I think I watched that because prioritized watching it because you spoke of it so highly. It was a super oh, nice. good film. Yeah, because I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, and, uh, uh, so Dan Stevens, Elijah Wood, Daniel Radcliffe. I also say Robert Pattinson um, mm-hmm. for for trashing Twilight while on the press tour for Twilight. That's a that's a mensch move. Good job. Um, I would even I would throw Kristen Stewart in there too. Absolutely, personal shoppers, great. She's good in so much weird stuff. Um, uh, blessed a lot of you. Um, have, have you all seen um, the new Cronenberg movie yet? I have not yet. Ah, oh, you lucky fucker. How how is it? Um. Okay. It's an earful. First of all, uh. Okay, I'll back up. Um, it's very Cronenbergian with the body horror. It very much feels like a classic Cronenberg film. So I found that wonderful and refreshing, and I'm all for it. Um, the thing that I was going to say first that I hesitated on was that it got so much press for say for like being too disgusting and people walking out. It's not as bad. Uh, it's not as hard to watch, not as bad, as hard to watch f- uh, from a gross out perspective as that. Uh, that's yeah. That was kind of yeah. overkill. I liked it. I thought it was good. I actually thought I could have gone a little farther in parts, but I had a good time. Um, it, it feels like classic Cronenberg, which to me is nice. literally always a win. So, Yeah, and his like son is, is really crushing it too. Um, yeah, Possessor's great. Like, so is it as gory as that one? Because I know Possessor was, like, pretty next level, which I love. Yeah, I would say yes, but it's a little... It feels a little different because there's a lot more practical gore and grossness versus, Mm. like, like well-done digital, but still digital hits a little different. Um, Like, 
there's sheets of fake flesh. I'll put it that way. Um, well, and, how, how uh, would you uh, compare, like, if you were to uh, put it side by side with like Dead Ringers, something like that? Yeah, I would say like, that it's like, um, I'd say that it's about on par with Dead Ringers and like a little less like body warpy than like Videodrome. Okay. Yeah, because Dead Ringers is a very like internal body horror. Uh, yeah. Specifically of the other because it's like uh, the two brothers um, yeah. basically mutilating and governing the the opposite sex's bodies, but internally. And crime, yeah. what I've seen of Crime of the Future, Crimes of the Future, is the external externalization of that. Yeah. Like. Yes. Um, near monologue of like uh the one of the brothers uh speeches on like the beauty of the internal body. Yeah, like, I would say like a hundred percent. The the my one caveat is it kind of also revisits those from the because like the lead character is growing these new types of organs just kind of as part of just the consequences of the time they're in, his body just does that. And there's talk of like an inner beauty pageant where people who are doing that showcase their novel new organs. And so like that inner is not the outer stuff is more the focus for crimes of the future, but the, the, those themes totally carry over otherwise. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause thematically and, it looks similar if yeah. anything by uh, contrast in some ways yeah. to something like dead ringers. Totally. Um, yeah. I thought um, it's fun. You know, ironically, my least favorite part of it was Kristen Stewart. And I was surprised at that. Um, uh, she's not terrible. It's just that, you know, I don't know. She has a very unique performance, but not unique for, it just hits kind of odd. I'll just say that. Um, but uh, case do please still come on the show. Yes. <laughs> happy to have you um wonderful well um jets i thank you so much for introducing both of you those those new kind of like avenues of of the thematics and uh god I just really love this period of films because there's so much weird stuff they're doing uh folks at home can check out uh uh our earlier episode of godzilla to where we really really dug into that tradition or our Quatermass episode where um, we go kind of across the pond to some of their treatments of science and the alien in a similar era. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't we talk about Starro in some previous episode? I feel like we did. Yeah. I don't remember which one though. Cause Starro's running perpetually in my brain. Yeah. Team Starro. I, I feel like he's, he's gotten a bunch of like mentions so honestly, mm-hmm. the only way to know for sure is to by listening to every single one of our episodes, <laughs> and then you can report yeah. back and tell us how many times we yeah. bring up Starro. Yeah, please tell me in the comments. Um, <laughs> Sixty-two, and, uh, exactly. And also, <laughs> you're welcome. So definitely listen to every one of our prior episodes, and thank you for listening to this one. Um, and with that. Um, uh, Yep. Thank you all so much, folks at home. And uh, I'll start with you, Andre. How can the folks at home, uh, how can they find you? 
Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter um, under the handle Demoni Disco, D-E-M-O-N-I-D-I-S-C-O. Uh, Twitter. I also I write some film reviews for Geek Vibes Nation, um, and other similar articles over at celluloidconsumé at medium.com uh, so you can check those out there if you're if you happen to be listening and you find yourself in the seattle area i'm also a um, film projectionist for the small weird grand illusion cinema theater uh, in the university district neighborhood um, and yeah I, I think that's it I love it. Thank you so much, Andre. Uh, I would I would definitely encourage everyone at home to check all that out. Uh, Mike, tell the tell the peoples what amazing things you've been up to. Uh, yeah. So, well, first you can find me on Twitter at Strange Cinema sixty five. Um, I have my book, The Ultimate Guide to Strange Cinema, uh, available on Amazon and. Um, as far as projects go, I have, um, well, I've been writing also for Geek Vibes Nation. Um, and I also have a um, two shows. I have Return of the Living Geeks, which I do with Andre. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, we've been doing uh, live streams for charity, which has been going really well. And uh, I also have a home video um uh, show that I call the um, the Video Attic, which you can also find on Geek Vibes Nation uh, YouTube channel. Awesome. Uh, thank you for that. And yeah, uh, again, folks at home, I would encourage you to check those things out. Um, and you can, uh, again, find me uh, at Real Jeff Ewing uh, on Twitter. Uh, R-E-E-L, like Film Real. And you can find my stuff on Forbes and Looper and Slash Film and here because you already did and uh i was just like you know taking a step back in my mind how um man as far as like shows co-hosts go um y'all do some cool stuff like luna is an aerialist um mike you're like a strange cinema expert uh andre you're a fucking projectionist that's baller like y'all are cool um it hurts when i I have cute dogs eyeball out because the lens has to come out of the head, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a yes. lot of hard work. It gets really hot. <laughs> <laughs> but we just got yeah, AC, but... so it's a little bit better now. <laughs> That's good. I mean, you know, it's it, it's good timing for that, because otherwise... Um, but yeah, thank you, folks, for, for stopping by. And uh, uh, for the folks at home, we'll see you next time, uh, fellow humanoids from the Deep Dive. Once more, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening. From the dawn of record human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares, they've been our protectors and our villains, they've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization, the need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. (laughs) 